0: Are you ready to unlock the secrets of securing funding and achieving impact in the world of European research and innovation?
1: So really incorporating, I think if we if we look at STEM, say we take STEM, say engineering, medical, life and medical sciences, um, how do we incorporate in a meaningful way social sciences and historical sciences? So bringing those disciplines together, I think if we're looking at, you know, a lot of the research funding is in the space of Global challenges and the SDGs, and there's increasing importance in in, in, in bringing these different spaces together, um, but in a really meaningful way. And that goes in the reverse too. If you've got sort of social and social sciences, is how to you know bringing in STEM sciences together. So that would be one.
0: Today, I have a very special guest, Kimberly Cornfield. She is Assistant Director for Project Development and Management and Head of European Research and Innovation at the University College London, or short UCL. UCL is one of the top-performing universities under the European Union's Horizon Europe program, having secured over 400 million euros over the last years to support its research and innovation activities. Kimberly and her team connect scientists and businesses around European Union collaborative funding opportunities and offer a suite of support services to improve the chances of success in obtaining funding and achieving impact objectives. In this episode, we will be discussing the current state of European research funding, the challenges and benefits of virtual meetings, and what the future holds for research and innovation in Europe. So sit back, grab a coffee, relax, and let's dive into the world of research with Kimberly Confield.
1: good to see you happy holidays i've just caught the end um sort of the last 10-15 minutes or so of this chat which has been really interesting to hear about about your company and coming to europe
0: kimberly maybe you can introduce you a little bit uh, give a little bit of background to what you do in, in london
1: Yeah, so uh, it's Canadian accent. So I'm originally from Canada, but now also British. And I am assistant director at UCL um, for project development and management. And I'm head of her European research and innovation office. So my team and I are responsible for all of UCL's uh, European funded research, in particular, this Horizon 2020 program and Horizon Europe. Um, So the success of Program is Horizon Europe, which has about ninety-five and a half billion available for Europe um, research and innovation actors, as well as uh, across the world as well um, for the next seven years. So starting in in twenty twenty-one, um, and our portfolio is around four hundred and seventy-five million from the previous program, and now inclusive into to the new program, um, which also is. Um, Horizon Europe guarantee funding at the moment, so we still have the situation. My challenge of the year has been uh, the UK's position in in Europe and and association to our research and funding
0: uh, program. What would life be without challenges?
1: Exactly, I would say I'm I'm learning something new every day, and I'm not bored. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good thing, uh, Kimberly. Uh, one one question before we uh, say happy New Year to Dina and Mauricio. Uh, I know the UCL has a few researchers, so I think it, minimum ten or twenty. <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. Are you aware of uh, researchers that do something in animal nutrition? Is this a part uh, at the UCL research community?
1: Off the top of my head, I can't sort of think of someone indirectly or directly, but I imagine, yes, we've got a bit of everything (laughs) Um, and then interdisciplinary nature too. So it might be some uh, area that is not uh, what we wouldn't first think of as well. So if there's interest, of course, in in connecting, I'd be happy to look into that.
0: Lina, Mauricio, I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, thank you very much for being part of today's recording show.
1: Okay, thank okay,
0: you all. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Happy you Christmas. Soon. Bye. See you. Bye. Kimberly, how is it going? Uh, where are you currently? Are you in Canada or are you in uh, in London?
1: I'm still in London at the moment. So, And I'll be headed to Belgium for Christmas. So I'm going to the continent for for Christmas this year.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's a short, how long is the trip to Belgium? I think, so.
1: Just two hours by train. So very smooth,
0: usually. Mm-hmm. By train. So, so you go via France and then.
1: Exactly. Yes. I take the Eurostar, the channel.
0: Kimberly, what were your highlights in 2022?
1: It's been, it's been quite, (laughs) it's been quite a year. Um, I think, you know, I was thinking about this before, you know, in preparation for today and, and speaking with you. And I think it's really just, it's been the people and our continued Um, submission and, and successes in Horizon Europe, despite delayed sort of the UK's delayed association to the program and, and the challenges that that, you know, has brought on, but I can still see just you know, my direct team and how we're working across the organization, but also with our European collaborators that a lot of exciting research and innovation in this space continues to take place and, um, and just how the people working with people and how we've come together. um, It's just really been, I think, my highlight for the year. We have, oh, sorry. No, no, Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, we had, um, what I've just had a look at our recent stats is we've actually seen an increase in collaborative projects being submitted in 2021 to the Horizon program compared to, you know, and more in 2022. And I think that's been really, especially, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, but actually people are continuing to work together and even more so this year.
0: Do you see uh, an uptake in real life meetings or uh, is the Horizon community still uh more or less virtual?
1: I've seen an uptake back in face-to-face meetings, and I think it's finding that balance. So when we can, I do see sort of more conscious approach to travel, so to Mm. minimize our environmental impact and what we can do. So when do we need to meet in person and when can it be done virtually? I think it's really great to see particularly these collaborative projects being able to come back and meet in person. I think that has a lot of added value. Um so sometimes it's good to meet virtually but a lot of times it's still important to meet in person. So I'm seeing more and more again which is great.
0: What is your optimal balance from from your experience between virtual and uh and real life? Where do you see the advantages uh of both worlds and the challenges of both worlds?
1: Yes, I think I'm much I'm very conscious of sort of what I travel to now. So mm. I really sort of think about um, what's going to be the greatest value add? So conferences, um, and and if you've got a you know a particular challenge or project that you're working on, sometimes that face to face is when you really need to come together. Or returning to the office. So my team and I we're still hybrid, so we come together once a week. Um, every Wednesday we come in and we meet. And we work together in the office there and you can come in more, but it's sort of a a set day as sort of a teaming day across our department. And I think that's a really nice balance. Um, You know, we might come in a couple of days in a week, but that ability to still come in together and meet with the team, but have some, you know, but be able to also have that virtual. I think that's a really nice, the hybrid world, but it's tough to find the balance.
0: I think we're still learning. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think uh, life changed completely. The great thing, in my opinion, is that uh, models like this one, a um, podcast, video podcast webinars, um, was next to impossible, uh, implementing three years ago before the pandemic. Now it's a uh, no-brainer. When, whenever I ask someone, do you want to join, I get a yes. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm very happy about that. Three years ago, before March 2020, whenever I asked someone if they would like to be on a podcast, they just look at me and say, why? <laughs> What's the benefit? <laughs> Where do you see the, the the benefits of the virtual world in your work environment?
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today.
1: Um, I think it just gives um, it's time and energy. So the what you can reduce sort of from commuting time as well for a team. It allows people to have more time with their family, use that time, maybe more for a health benefit, whether you'd start your day with yoga, as opposed to getting onto a tube and rush hour, um, and sort of flexibility as well. If you, a lot of my team and myself are not originally from London. Um, so can we, you know, be able to work in different places for a sort of, a, even if it's a small amount of time, but just to create that I think it's still an effort once works in the home all the time, you've got to make sure that you create that boundary or balance. But I think the hybrid solution, if you get it right, can can really help in that.
0: Where do you see when we switch now, when we shift gears and talk about, you mentioned Horizon, Horizon program, what's going on in the Horizon world?
1: Well, yesterday we had an announcement from the UK government that they have extended the guarantee. Um, So maybe for some of the listeners that don't know what that means is we're in this um, interesting limbo stage of, it's called associate team. So um, we we can participate UK organizations in proposals as as a beneficiary. Mm -hmm. Um, The tricky part comes, well, could have been around the funding. So um, until we associate, (laughs) so we're in the process of associating, which allows us to participate in the proposals, but we haven't yet associated finally. So the funding can't come from the EU budget. Um, But we have a guarantee, a financial safety net that was set up by the UK government to fund UK participation in all proposals. So while we're still waiting to see whether we're going to associate, um, we do have this financial safety net, which has now just been announced. It's going to go at least until the end of March 2023. So that's not. The funding doesn't carry on until the end of March. That continues for the lifetime of the awards. But anyone that's putting in proposals, whether it's European Research Council grant, collaborative grants are, are, are guaranteed. So, so that's the biggest update at the moment um, while we sort of still continue in this will we, won't we uh, associate.
0: So basically you can participate in European research programs uh, like before.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh. From a practical perspective, if you're if there's a UK organization or researcher that are applying, it's sort of business as usual. And then it's teams like mine that try to make that process as smooth as possible. You still get the money. It's just the the direct source and how that's managed for the UK changes, but not for the rest of our European partners.
0: And what about uh, the leading role in projects? Uh, Is it still possible that, for example, UCL? Uh, files for a Horizon program, or do you need a work around with a European entity?
1: So we we include that in a risk plan. Sort of, I remain a cautious optimist. So if um, somebody say it's a UCL researcher and say they're really driving the idea, this is their intellectual property background, their research, um, they can still coordinate. We just had we just had someone win a coordinated bid um, at UCL in the last couple of weeks. However, when it comes to signing off the the agreement with the commission, the European Commission, if we have an associated by then, we do have to relinquish that role and pass that to hopefully one of our European collaborators in the project is able to take that on. So it's, um, but the academic themselves can remain a scientific lead. So how we position that and, and how it's still managed, we can kind of carry on for the most part as you would have it's just sort of the legal entity that is coordinating it has to change so unfortunately but we are still winning uh some coordinated bids and we were able to we were able to keep one because it was a emergency COVID emergency grant through the mm-hmm. european commission so we were actually that the emergency fund that's still that funding still comes direct from european commission so we've been able to maintain uh, that coordination, uh, that project called, uh, NVOC. So they're, uh, looking at a variance of concern, um, from COVID-19. I think it's um, interdisciplinary. So really incorporating, I think if we're, if we look at STEM, say we take STEM, say engineering, medical, life and medical sciences, um, how do we incorporate in a meaningful way, social sciences and historical sciences? So bringing those disciplines together, I think if we're looking at, you know, a lot of the research funding is in the space of global challenges and the SDGs, and there's increasing importance in, in in bringing these different spaces together, um, but in a really meaningful way. And that goes in the reverse, too, if you've got sort of social and social sciences is how to, you know, bringing in STEM sciences together. So that would be one cross sector. So I think, you know, really to achieve impact, we need to work across our different sectors. So just take research and um, research entities and businesses. um, And I think we're going to really need to increase that collaboration, but also figure I mean, we've had a lot of conversations in the past of when do you bring together? When do you? um, match up these organizations at which stage of research development, um, which I still find really interesting and it's that impact. So I'm really, you know, my team helps right from a concept of an idea and a, in a European call and, um, and even bringing in different partners, but looking at how can you support throughout that whole pipeline, to get that post-project impact. And so when do you collaborate with companies, which companies, and how do you do that? So I think that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a continuing trend. Um, so the interdisciplinary interdisciplinary, and um, cross-sector. Um, and then the third is global. I mean, I think more and more global collaboration, we have a lot to learn from each other. Um, and a lot of these, you know, if we're looking at sort of climate issues. Um, while some areas are more adversely affected than others, there are shared challenges there. I mean, we've had the flooding and heat waves. And um, so I think, yeah, I think those are my sort of three areas that I would say will be continuing focus, especially around funding. Uh, if you're looking to get funded, I think. Um, especially in sort of larger scale or if your research is around sort of global challenges, um, that would be what you need to do.
0: Yeah, climate change needs a lot of sorting. I think there is a lot of uh, um, awareness on the topic, but uh, sometimes I have the feeling that I get contradicting messages via social media and in the news. I think there is, it's good that a lot of research is going on. You mentioned the one word, interdisciplinary. Um, and said that it's important to bring social science uh, to the table. Where do you see the advantages to marry traditional, let's say, traditional uh, sciences with social sciences?
1: Well, I'll give an example, actually. So I'm, this is one of, um, I would say, something that was really um, very interesting that launched this year. At, um, UCL is the host institution, um, and it's called PEARL. So it's it's a person environment activity research Laboratory. That's what it stands for. Um, but it explores the way people interact with the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's sort of that's an example of uh behavioral science. I mean, not maybe not this. This one will have a lot of research. So this is uh, a center. They've got life sized environments, so railway station, town square. So you can control the conditions and see how individuals will or or, or collective people react with that. Um, and that sort of makes me think to, you know, psychology, behavioral sciences, Um and sort of how if we're adapting to climate change or you're developing a drug treatment. And so how people and what has happened in, in the past of historical sciences as well, I think, can really help inform how do you approach your research? Um, what are the potential impacts and how to yeah, achieve greater positive impact with those sciences? Um We've had you know previous projects as well that they've looked at uh, fairy tales, and it fa-
0: it's fairy tales.
1: Yes, they looked at fairy tales mm-hmm. as um, for natural medicinal um, properties. I think would be sort of how to say it. So, if a fairy tale had written about a certain say vegetable or flour, um really? actually has that come from something and can we incorporate that in medical sciences? Um so that was sort of a very interesting I thought what, as an example.
0: What was the outcome of this project? So
1: yeah so they did find they did find something now um but it it was from a marketing perspective on the larger companies didn't feel that consumers would be interested or comfortable buying a product that incorporated a certain vegetable or or um, fungus or flower. I, I can't remember the exact details around the project, but it's yeah. one that just sticks to my mind of how you can incorporate you know, um, literature and fairy tales into modern day um, life and medical science.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of culture built around in the uh, in Asia. I think uh, traditional Chinese medicine is basically using uh, natural products and just observing how they change the body composition. And amazingly, I mean, we have, uh, afterwards, we have Colin Ewald on the call. He's uh, very much involved in longevity research. And what I find amazing is that very often what I learned 20, 30 years ago uh when i did studies in martial arts and got a little bit little bit not very much uh introduced to the world of tcm that nowadays a lot of scientific studies uh verify these approaches. this is really amazing so i think in fairy tales maybe there might be really some 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 hidden information in there to find uh new medicine
1: yeah i think it's really interesting i mean if you it's sort of i love the creativity and thinking outside of the box and bringing, um, there's lots of really interesting research or knowledge. And I think sort of just as a growing trend to really bring that together um, to come up with new ideas or or things we didn't realize and can really support each other.
0: That's uh, that's great. When we think about the Horizon program again and look towards 2023, what is uh, coming towards the research community in 2023?
1: So the European Commission has also just released the 2023 and 2024 work programs. Um, so we know what's coming. Um, and on my on my team's web, website, we do have a page which directs you to the European Commission's work programs. So that's exciting. And also, so you can look ahead for 2023, we're encouraging our colleagues to continue to apply, especially now that we have this continued guarantee from the government. Um, but there's got there's a lot of interesting health calls coming up. Those deadlines for the collaborations are around March and April. Um, and what's also great about two year work programs is you can have a look at 2024, especially if you're new to getting involved into this, uh, because they're such a big endeavor and, and undertaking. You do have time to start building up to that and into 2024. So, and then I hope. Um, I hope we have a decision on Horizon Europe association um but I I think would have I've, I've grown accustomed to living into uncertainty. <laughs> so <laughs> if yeah. we don't we don't and we just keep it sort of a lesson as well as what what's within your control and what's not and just That's true. being ready to react to and respond to whatever opportunity and i think quite quickly so just being prepared whatever way it goes just being ready for it
0: the world is ever-changing and yeah. it doesn't stop so so uh, you mentioned the horizon europe work program for 2023 is there let me ask it this way which topic in the work program excites you the most
1: There's so many I mean it's I would say I'm really I would say I'm really interested in in the climate and the mm-hmm. interdisciplinarity of, of climate research. so where it goes in with health, um, where it comes in with digital technologies, um, energy. So it's really I mean I think every sort of program is hitting on on climate. We do have a lot of expertise around rare diseases at UCL. Um, so there are upcoming calls that will allow you to apply for funding related to rare diseases. So that's always exciting for us because then we get, you know, my team and I will be uh, get a lot of proposals coming through um, addressing addressing various rare diseases. You mentioned uh, climate change. I heard um I think it was two
0: weeks ago that there was a breakthrough in nuclear fission so that basically we can simulate now the sun on Earth. Did you did you hear about that?
1: I did. Yes, I'm not so up to speed on all the details, but I know it's it's been a big um, a big moment and and a lot of I think excitement now for what that could mean and where we can go with that now in the next stages in research.
0: I I just heard it a but uh, I think one one sentence that uh, catched my attention was. Caught my attention uh, was unlimited. Uh, that the possibility in near future to have limitless energy at zero expenses. Is this yeah. really? Did, it's, did you really just
1: game, it's a game changer to a whole other level.
0: Potentially, yeah, it was, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it solve a lot of problems? Uh, I mean, uh, especially it's emission free. Is it really the case? I mean, didn't do much research. I was hoping that you have some more information from the UCL. <laughs>
1: I don't have too much more. If I've understood right, you get more energy back than you put in. Mm-hmm. That's something I've heard. But again, don't quote me. I haven't spoken to our researchers about it. I just also picked it up in in the news. A sort of a an end of year, an end of year sort of high note, I think, for us all.
0: Yeah, this would be the. Uh, I think for Europe, this would be the end of the energy crisis if we get something like that. Hopefully, somewhere in future.
1: Yes, and even if it just gives us a bit of hope right now um, to go into sort of carry on through the winter and into 2023, um, as we find out more what this means and, and what the possibilities from this are.
0: When we look towards 2023, what change would you like to see in 2023?
1: Well, it's been a hard couple of years, three years. I think this is, I was just thinking that. the This is the third time I've been able to join you for this, which is great. Mm -hmm. But I remember the first one was um, 2020. So we've been through the pandemic 2021, where we're just going into Omicron. (laughs) And plus, all of that's happened within Europe this year Uh, has been really challenging. So I I would really hope for um, a bit more calm, um, you know, and... and, um, Just a bit, yeah, I would like it to be a bit of a calmer, more positive year globally at my, you know, all of this is, I suppose, is happening because it will lead us to that place. But I I hope for a calmer 2023 globally. Yeah,
0: I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think the, the world, I mean, there were changes, but the world seemed to be, in hindsight, more predictable before 2020. Was not change every few months, a <laughs> major change. Yeah,
1: you know, I'm just sort of I, I can't predict anything anymore and maybe growing comfortable with that. But um yeah, just maybe we could things can come together in a way that we that is just a bit less chaotic. Um mm. somewhat more predictable perhaps. I think it feels I just sort of feel it's been quite relentless, like the challenge after challenge and And now nothing really surprises me. I say that, but I I don't think anything surprises me anymore. We have
0: seen it all.
1: Yeah, just some calm. That would be nice for 2023. Some predictability.
0: Is there any trauma that we didn't check off in the last three years? Anything that... uh...
1: I can't, I can't think. I mean, probably, probably (laughs) there's something. What are those, the unknown unknowns? There's yeah, probably an unknown unknown in there. And we probably missed off a known unknown.
0: Yeah, I think in Europe, uh, we have seen. Maybe for 2024 in the US, the next presidential election will be very interesting. I think it's it's 2024, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's true. That's coming up.
0: So I'm curious then. Let's see what happens then. Uh, Kimberly, Colin is already in the debating room. Should we call him in?
1: Yes, great.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please show your support by liking, leaving a comment and sharing it with others. And please don't forget to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on future episodes. Your support helps us reach more people like you who can benefit from this content. Thanks for being part of our LSG2G community.